Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Pre-Med Office Hours, episode 145. If you're like, what the heck is Pre-Med Office Hours? Well, we used to be called Ask the Dean, and then we were called Ask Maps, and now we're called Pre-Med Office Hours. We change names more often than P. Diddy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am Dr. Ryan Gray, the founder of Medical School HQ, co-founder of MAPS, author of lots of books and host of lots of podcasts. Uh, But my best title of all is colleague to these wonderful people on the show with me today. Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS. My friend, how are you? Good. How how are you, Ryan? I'm, uh, how's everything in Colorado? Everything in Colorado is hot and dry. Unfortunately, Ooh, we have that not time good. of year. Not um, good. Yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. snowed last week, and now we're at eighty-two degrees. So wow. hey, that's how well we <laughs> it is here in Austin, Texas today. It is a beautiful sunny day, and it is seventy-two degrees, and we are loving life. It is nice. awesome. Nice. Good. Nice. Awesome in Austin. Awesome. Right. awesome. We love it. We love it. Uh, and of course, Verinia Granum, former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising <laughs> office at Hofstra University. Yes. Um, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you. I think we need a like a like a peppy intro. Like this is Saturday night instead of you know. <laughs> Yeah. This is pre-med office hours or something. Yeah. But anyway, do I'm doing good. We can do that. I, yeah. I have those. I have those connections. So awesome. um, <laughs> I, I, I was. I was. I've been trying to reach out to those connections for the is it clinical like yeah. game show thing, but um, I'm still still trying to still chase working. down those leads. So if you are new here to pre-med office hours, what we do is answer your questions. That is our goal to really be here for the hour uh, as free pre-health advising. Um, We obviously do a lot of one-on-one pre-med advising. That is kind of the core of what we do day-to-day as advisors is help students on their journey to becoming physicians uh, with the application process, which is general pre-med questions. We also answer lots of questions for students who are mapped pro members uh, with our mapped software. But we love to take time every week to answer your questions live. And so that's what we're doing today for free. So please take advantage of it. Go to premed.tv and ask those questions and we'll answer them here. So let's rock and roll. First one up, Mantos. Hello, Mantos. Can you apply to more than 20 schools for free if you have fee assistance? Can you uh, contact schools to ask for a fee waiver? So the fee assistance program, for those who don't know, is a program that you apply to through the AAMC. The AAMC has unlimited funds. If you qualify for FAP, you will get FAP. There is no cap on the funds they release every year. The um, 
ACOM, the Association of American Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, also has a fee assistance program. They do have a cap on the funds that they release every year, so it is more of a first-come, first-serve. It's a very different process, though, because once you are approved, you must apply uh, and submit your DO application within like two weeks. So it's a very different process. Read all the rules, all of those fun things. Uh, ACOM very different. The the DO application and fee assistance program is very different. So I'm not going to talk about that. Mantos is talking about the AMCAS version of fee assistance program. 20 schools is what you get. Now, can you ask a school to say, hey, can I apply to you for free? No and yes. Scott, have you, have you ever seen this game played where uh, a student will say, hey, um, I, I qualified for FAP or maybe I didn't qualify for FAP. My funds are low, but I really want to apply to your school. Will you waive my secondary? Have you, have you seen that game played? Scott is frozen. <laughs> frozen uh, salt. Oh, oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> He's in slow motion. He's in slow-mo. All right, we'll come back to Scott. Verenia, have you ever seen that game played? I have not. Um, they're also, I don't know if they're asking, can they ask for assistance, not just for secondaries, but for the primary yeah, application? I, I was going to answer that one second. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> because the answer to that is no. That's an easy answer. Because you're going through AMCAS, you can't, you can't waive that. AMCAS okay. obviously has a, has a set program. You get your 20 schools, and mm -hmm. then every school you add on, is, they're going to charge you for it. Right. Secondaries, on the other hand... Yeah, I have not seen that. Um, I don't know if it's just that I haven't come across it. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I'm of the thinking that, you know, I don't think it could hurt to ask, but what, yep. what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so we have, um, we. I was just working on our, our med school database last night, trying to update it for uh, the newest data. We have a part that says, hey, do they waive the secondary fee if you get fee assistance program? Not every school, mm -hmm. unfortunately, does. Yeah. Um, it's typically, at least for AMCAS schools, kind of implied that if you get fee assistance, you're going to get your secondary waived. Um, and so typically, you don't have to ask schools. If you don't get fee assistance, then potentially you could ask, say, hey, like I've applied to 20 schools. You're my 21st. I really want to come to you. It, it's been done before. I, I've talked to students who have done it mm -hmm. and it's worked. Uh, Scott, it looks like you're back now. I, I see your head moving around. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. I'm trying. Uh, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The, the, the gods do not want you talking today. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> talking about... <laughs> Yeah, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get you back. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Mantos, can you contact? Uh, if you have fee assistance, you shouldn't have to contact. Okay. Daniel. Hey, guys, if affirmative action is removed, will this erase decades of progress mm. of trying to diversify medicine? The easy answer is no. And we have evidence of that, Daniel. California med schools have not been able to use race-based admissions for several years now. They, uh, in the state of California, banned using race-based admissions. Um, I forget exactly when, but it's, it's been several years, mm -hmm. and, and they're doing just fine. Um, med schools have different ways to look at things. Uh, they don't have to just 
ask bluntly, what is the color of your skin to, to figure out if you will bring some level of diversity to their class. So uh, I, I'm the white dude in the room, Vrinia, uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I agree with what you're saying, right? It's been an ongoing thing. I, will it erase progress? No, I don't think so. I think that it, it still falls on all schools, um, not just to have affirmative action, but just to make it an effort on your own um, as a school, as an institution to diversify your class. Everyone, um, regardless of skin color, really, it's, it's, it's beyond that. It's diversity of experiences. It's diversity of thought. It's all of that. Um, so no, do I think it's going to erase decades of progress? Um, I hope not. <laughs> I think that schools need to continue to work hard at doing this and, and have their class match the patient population that's out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to look for an episode that I did. Um, where is it? With Dr. Bright. Um, right here. Premedyears.com slash 513. Premedyears.com slash 513 is an episode that I did with Dr. Bright. Dr. Bright, uh, Dr. Cedric Bright is the, uh, let me get his exact title, Cedric Bright. Um, he is the Vice Dean for Medical Education and Admissions at Brody School of Medicine in uh, Greenville, uh, North Carolina. So I had Dr. Bright on the podcast and we talked about um, the affirmative action case that is in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, it does look like the Supreme Court is going to overturn affirmative action, at least the, what, what we have now. Uh, and he talked about it's, it's not going to affect them. They, they don't use very specific, very narrow um, demographic information, ethnic information to make determinations. They have lots of data to be able to paint pictures of people mm -hmm. to, to say, this person very likely brings us some diversity that we, we don't need to know their skin color. We don't need to know race, ethnicity um, to, to make those decisions. Do Dr. Wright, you're shaking your head. Yes. It sounds like you're obviously very familiar with this from TMDSAS from uh, your UT Southwestern days. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of schools that do not use affirmative action any longer. And uh, that, as you just described, use a lot of different factors that are related to a lot of different things uh, to to diversify their class. And uh, and so I, I don't see it affecting uh, the medical school admissions process at all. Uh, I, I think that the schools are committed to diversity and will use a variety of measures to uh, produce a diverse class that's going to uh, be representative of the of the country, but also representative of, of the ability to serve patients that are from a diverse, uh, diverse groups. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have simple tools just based on your zip code. We mm -hmm. probably know who you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so mm -hmm. um, there's lots of tools to, to help us, right? At, at the core, the question um, is, what's the point, right? There, there's a lot of, uh, of people who will chirp on Twitter saying, oh, like you just got into med school because of your race, or you just had so much success because you're the token diversity hire or acceptance. We should, especially for our doctors, have the best and the brightest. And, and I just sit there and go, well, how do you define that? 
right? right. Is, it, is it the highest MCAT score is going to make the best doctor? No, we know that's not true. Is it the highest GPA makes the best doctor? No, we know that's not true. And we know that pockets of diversity, communities of diversity, especially in medical school classes, will create better outcomes for the whole class, which will have rippling effects for patients, for science, for the, the, the healthcare world in general. And so we want diversity. It's not just a higher MCAT score means you're the best person and that's who should get the seat. No, that's just not how it works. Sorry. Kaylee Gray, I like your last name, Kaylee. Are we related? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> my school offers a letter packet, but I've been out of school for a year and didn't set one up. Will it look bad if I submit LORs using Interfolio? It would look even less bad if you used my LORs <laughs> through Mapped, but hey, that, who am I to say? Um, <laughs> for any of those, there are a lot of reasons why students yeah. don't get committee letters or letter packets. Yeah. Does it look bad? No, not at all. Just you can go ahead and ask for individual letters. Um, some schools only offer them for current students and not alum or, you know, you, you've only uh, you can only have graduated like a year um, prior before you can get your letter. So that wouldn't make you eligible. So you're fine. Go ahead and request individual letters um, and use my LORs. <laughs> <laughs> my LORs uh, only unfortunately works with AMCAS and ACOMIS for this yeah, cycle. That's true. Um, Dr. Wright said, hey, TMDSAS, don't, don't let my LORs work this year, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> uh, no, I did not up? do that. <laughs> um, awesome. Good question, Kaylee. Mm -hmm. Charbel. Hey team, I'm applying to school that has multiple campuses. Is there any way to optimize your chance of getting into a certain campus, choosing a concentration during med school or so? This is so school specific, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Wright. Um, I'm not familiar with any Texas schools having like mm -hmm. a lot of branch campuses, um, but, but schools like Chicago mm -hmm. um, or University of Illinois has Chicago, Rockville, so the other, a couple of campuses. Mm -hmm. University of Indiana has like six branch campuses. It's crazy. Um, mm. it, it's so school specific on mm -hmm. how they do it, right? A lot of times it's just a lottery. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also, there's a, a several osteopathic medical schools that have, have various campuses uh, right. that, you know, in some schools you apply just to the entity and then they work out where you're going to do your, um, clinical years, for example, uh, or the whole four years. And then some schools you apply to each individual campus. It just depends on the school. So I, I agree with you. It's very school specific. Yep. Yeah. Ah, let's keep those questions coming. Ooh. There's a good one. Yeah. It's Hello. Hello. Caitlin, I'm trying to decide between grad school programs slash SMPs. Do you know anything about Columbia MS and human nutrition and or Pitt Biomedical Masters? Yeah. So these kind of questions, Caitlin, we just we won't answer. We can't answer uh, because there are so many programs out there. We are not experts in all the different programs. So at the end of the day, you have to pick what will work best for you, your schedule, your living arrangements, your finances, yep. uh, and specifically what exactly you need. Um, and so the question is, 
can you potentially do an undergraduate postback versus master's level postback work or master's level SMP work? Um, so lots of questions that um, we're, we're not going to compare two specific programs. That's just above above our knowledge base. We just it doesn't it doesn't serve anyone to to have that level of knowledge for us. All right, Alex was really disappointed in my MCAT score that was just released yesterday. Yes, April 11th was MCAT score release day. 509, 130, 124. So, so for those of you who don't know this breakdown, <laughs> this reminds me, um, in, in medicine, we learn shorthand for writing labs and, and there's like little, little uh, structures that you draw and you write all your stuff and you know that one is, is potassium and chloride and, and all the different things. Um, it's very standard. So for those of you who don't know what this means, 130 is chem phys, 124 in cars, 130 in bio biochem, and then 125 in psych -soch. That's the general way to write that because that's the order of sections on the MCAT. Mm -hmm. The cars and psych are less than 10th percentile for most of my target schools. Should I retake and still apply this cycle? Verenia, should we worry about section scores like that? No, these, these questions are always tough um, because it's there's so much that goes into your application that it's not just your MCAT score. Um, and, you know, as, as Dr. Gray just said, you know, you, you really don't hyper focus on individual section scores. Look at big picture, um, a 509, it's a decent score. It's not, you know, great, but it's okay. It's enough to be able to say, okay, I can apply to some of these schools. Um, the 10th percentile thing for your target schools, I mean, you, you'd have to kind of decide what are you comfortable with. Um, I wouldn't necessarily rule out a school, a school just because you didn't fall in that 10th percentile, right? Um, there there are percentiles for a reason. That means they're students, sorry, they're medians for a reason. They're students that have got in higher than that and below that. Um, if it's the right fit for you, if your other if the other parts of your application are strong, I'd be comfortable telling a student to go ahead and, and still apply. Yeah. I so I, I, mm -hmm. I, I want to share this. Hopefully the AAMC won't get mad at me. I'm not showing the school or anything. Um, th this is for, for those of you who aren't familiar with what Alex is saying here in terms of, Hey, this is uh, less than 10th percentile for my target school. So let's say this is a school that, that Alex is potentially interested in. This is the medical school admissions requirements tool that the AAMC uh, gladly will sell you if you uh, can get it. You, if you have a pre-health office as well, uh, advisors have typically have access to this tool. And so you can use the tool with them for free if you don't want to pay for it. So, so check with your advising office. And so this is what Alex is talking about in terms of, hey, 10th percentile for these section scores. And I'll, I'll zoom in here. Um, so you see ChemFizz. This last number on the left is 10th percentile. That's what that is. So 10th percentile is a 125. Cars, 124, 10th percentile. Um, bio biochem 126 10th percentile and then 127 is 10th and 25th percentile for this school so i don't know if i've ever seen an overlap so that's fun um new this year which i don't know scott and bruni if you've if you've seen this yet new this year they've finally added the mean 
So historically, they've only had the median. Now we have the mean with standard deviation. So we have more transparency into score ranges. The one thing I want to, I, I can't scream from the rooftops enough is this is not a what are my chances. This is not what are my chances. This is historical data. We cannot make predictions with this data. We cannot say that, oh, my chances of getting into this school are X based mm-hmm. on this data, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how the data works. So you can see here that the MCAT, the, the mean is a 509.8 with a standard deviation all the way down to a 505, basically. Mm-hmm. My math's correct. Mm-hmm. 505, no, 506. Um, so the five, basically a 510 to a 506, let's compare that to their median. 510 to 507. It's about the same, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, it goes down a little bit more. <laughs> five, five, oh, uh, 506. So we have, we have just a little bit of a clearer picture. A lot of the numbers may overlap, but it's just a little bit clearer of a picture, right? If, if the median data that we had was like just a little bit fuzzy, you're looking through your binoculars trying to focus. Now we can focus mm-hmm. just a little bit more in terms of what we see. So uh, again, we can't make predictions on this data. So um, should you retake it? A higher MCAT score always helps. I wouldn't. I, I can I say one thing. Yeah. Um, so the the what I'm interested in in that uh, if you could put that back up, uh, yeah, that um, range of scores and stuff. What I'm interested in here is understanding Alex why you think there is such a radical difference between two of your sections and the other two sections. What was going on? That you, I mean, I, I, this is, I, I would say, somewhat unusual a little bit to have to have a 130 on two sections and then a 124, 125 on the other two sections. And so I, I, I'm thinking, Alex, maybe if you could think through and reflect a little bit on what do you think went on in those two sections? Were they sections? The, the, the cars doesn't really surprise me necessarily as much as the psych Soch does. Um, uh, so yeah. I, I'm I'm just a little interested in that, and I think my my feeling would be if you feel like that there is um, some reasons that you feel like that those two sections were notably lower uh, than your other two sections, I you know it could be worth a retake uh, just to address those issues. Now, obviously, with a retake, you know you never know in terms of what's going to happen, but you know if you could hold stable in in the the 130 sections and bring up the other two sections a little bit you know even a point or two uh for each section that that would make a a a pretty big difference in terms of that total score so i'm just saying alex i think it's worth thinking through what you think went on in those two sections that really caused those to be you know notably lower than the other two yeah, I, I have an assumption because I've seen this play out a bunch is my assumption is Alex 
took for granted those two mm-hmm. sections. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, those aren't the hard sciences. I'll be mm-hmm. fine with those. And mm-hmm. didn't prioritize or didn't equally prioritize those sections mm-hmm. uh, versus the science sections. Probably. And then they said, ha, 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 that's what happens when you uh, don't respect us. <laughs> no, no. I'd be interested, Alex, if you want to type in, you know, kind of a mm-hmm. little bit of a response or whatever, that'd yeah. be interesting for us to look at. Good question. Rebecca, I'm a dietitian and attend weekly stroke rounds with the neurologist where I can see up close and personal his role as a physician. Could I count these hours as shadowing similar to what scribes can do? So let me let me set the record straight. Scribes cannot count their time as shadowing. <laughs> Scribing is basically what I, what I call shadowing on steroids, but you can't count that time as, as shadowing. You're scribing. Mm-hmm. So can you as the dietitian say what you're doing is shadowing? It depends. Verini, I would assume like, like my, my one caveat typically is if you're working in a role mm-hmm. and you want to count something as shadowing, my, my like rule is you have to be doing absolutely nothing in that yeah. time. That's exactly what I was going to say. If you were doing this, Rebecca, on your days off, not as part of your current job or your current role, then yeah, you could count it as shadowing. But if this, if, if attending weekly stroke rounds with a physician, with a neurologist, um, is at part of your job as a dietitian, then it's part of let me, let me Let me rephrase what I was saying. Okay. If as a dietitian, she kind of is part of the team and so she goes and she hangs out, but she's not taking notes. She's not worried about what's mm-hmm. going on for her job. She's just waiting for basically it to be done with so that she can go about the rest of her day. Then I'm like, well, yeah, kind of maybe that, maybe count that as shadowing. Okay. I don't know. Scott, what do you think? Um, you know, I, th- this is interesting that she, that, um, Rebecca brings up the scribe issue because I think a lot of people have trouble noting or, or deciding what to put scribe as because they, and I think most people put it as clinical activities, which is, you know, I, I think there's, you know, it, it's not a great clinical activity, but it is an activity that is clinical in some ways. Anyway, um, I, I, I would say, yes, I agree with you guys that uh, I do not think you could count that as shadowing. Um, I, I think you would count that as, you know, if, if it's an off time, like Verenia said, where you're just going and just kind of following them around to, to look. But if it's in the capacity somehow of, of your job, then I, I would say no on shadowing. Okay, so maybe a little a little um, disagreement, uh, which is good because at the end of the day, uh, I love this button. There are no rules. <laughs> there, there are no rules when it comes to this. The one thing you want to truly, truly avoid is is number one, just completely off the wall like categorization. I, I always yeah. give the example of the janitor who applied mm-hmm. to med school and marked it as clinical experience because in his mind he was in the hospital. Therefore it's clinical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, no, like you can't do that. Yeah. Um, the the one thing you don't want to do is double dip your hours so that right. if you're if you're right. potentially thinking about separating a little bit, there's a difference between separating hours and double counting hours. Right. So yep. that you just have to be careful not to do that. Yep. Yep. 
Alex is back. Cars has always been a trouble for me. Uh, Psych Soch, I was expecting higher, but I think I was just burnt by the end of the MCAT and somebody next to me was coughing the time, which is a bit distracting <laughs> during Psych Soch. Yeah, so Alex, I, I would challenge you on cars always being trouble for you. The fact that you're scoring so high in the sciences tells me that your critical reading and analysis skills are spot on. For some reason, it's just not translating to cars, probably because you've put this uh, kind of mental block on saying, oh, car, cars is always a problem for me. It's the same. It's the same stuff. It just happens to not be science questions. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mobius. 100 hours of shadowing, 100 hours of volunteer clinical, plus other activities, good stories, 3.9, 523. Is that enough to apply the cycle? We, not, we do not do what are my chances here. Sorry, Mobius. I, I don't know. Scott, R Verinia, do you want to answer that? Nope. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is it enough? Maybe. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah. Yeah. Th this is basically a Reddit question yeah. of like, hey, guys, here are all my numbers. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And yeah, like, there's, there's so much more to an application than just those numbers. Yeah. I mean, numbers-wise, it looks good, but right. I, I want to see the story. I want to see... You know, the reflection yeah, I want to exactly. see because there are people, Mobius, we will tell you, we will all tell you there are people with the exact stats that you have right there that don't get in anywhere. Yeah. And then we look at their application and they yep. just, yeah. they, they yeah. Uh, struck out big time. Yeah. Uh, right. Go watch application renovation. I had a five point, uh, a 4.0, 528 student on last year who only got one interview was rejected ultimately. Um, right. The, the question you have a hundred hours of shadowing. When was that hundred hours? Was it 10 years ago? Was it five years ago? Are you doing it consistently? You have a hundred hours of volunteer clinical. Well, is it true clinical? Is it not mm -hmm. like, there's just too, too much to know. So right, right, right. too much we don't know. Right. Noah asks, should I be deterred from applying DO if my true goal is surgery? This question stems from NMI. NMRP, NRMP, the National Residency and Match Program. Those, those letters are uh, mixed up there. Uh, data on match results and DO students being significantly less accepted into surgical residencies. So I'm going to pull up this data so we can, we can talk. Um, Scott, what do you think here? So the, the, the short answer I would say is no, it should not deter you from a DO, from a DO program. I think you do have to recognize if you're looking at sheer numbers, uh, if you're just looking at the data in terms of the numbers, then, you know, there are a vast number, a, a vast amount more MD students entering the match program than there are DO students. And so, yes, mm -hmm. you're going to see fewer numbers of DO students in these programs because there's fewer DO graduates than there are MD graduates. So mm -hmm. you can't just look at the raw data and say, oh, okay, well, there's, you know, only this percentage of DO applicants, you know, people in the program as opposed to the MD pro people. Well, there's a lot more MD pro program people entering the process. And so, you know, that I, I don't think you can look just at the raw numbers and make decisions about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what I pulled up is the, if you, if you just Google NRMP <clears throat> data, uh, I'm looking at the newest data from the match that just happened last month. This is 2023 advanced data tables. This is table one. 
A, the summary for MD seniors and what we have to go down to for surgery. Let's just do general surgery. You mm -hmm. want to look at surgery categorical. So surgery categorical means these are the five or six year surgery programs that students are applying to. If you look at surgery prelim, it tells you here that, hey, this is only a one-year spot. Mm -hmm. So this is common for people who don't match in whatever specialty they want. This is a common for some subspecialties of surgery that make you match in a PGY one year first, and then you go on to the rest of your program. So let's just look at surgery categorical. What we see here is there are 1,670 spots uh, across 355 programs. Out of those 1,670 spots, we'll scroll up to the top here, the number of applicants for MD seniors was 1,466. So MD seniors, the definition of that is students who are currently still in school, not students who maybe didn't match or maybe didn't apply for the match last year, graduated and are doing a research year. You see that there were 3,100 total applicants for these 1600 spots lots of people applying we'll look at where they're coming from out of the 1466 1062 matched okay this number here 63.6 is the total number of um seats that were filled were filled by md seniors okay so we have to look at that number out of <clears throat> I was just doing this math the other day with people, not specifically for, for Gen Surge. So out of the 1,062 that matched out of the 1,466, the match rate is 72.4%, roughly, right? This data does not show, I'm pretty sure, those who soaped into programs. So 72.4% match rate for MD seniors. Uh, if we scroll down <clears throat> to table 1B, which I scrolled right by, uh, here's the table for DOs. Remember, all MD, all DOs, all apply through the NRMP match process now. Before 2020, 2020? Um, I think 2020, the, there, there were separate application processes. DO students could apply to quote unquote allopathic programs. MD students could not apply to osteopathic programs. Uh, since 2020, there's a combined single accreditation. All of the programs um, use NRMP with an asterisk because there are things like ophthalmology and other programs that use um, the SF match, the San Francisco match. Um, all right. So, <laughs> Lots of nuance here. <laughs> this, this is a random crap you got to keep in your brain. Um, all right. So we'll come down again to surgery categorical. You can see it's the same 1,670 spots. You can see we had, what, 1,600 or 1,400 apply for MDs. There's only 432 students applying for DO. Now, does that mean that DOs were discouraged from applying to surgery programs? Does that mean that... Uh, I, we, we don't know why there are so few other than there are a lot less DO students. And then potentially the people who self-select for DO schools, maybe they're not interested in surgery, so they don't apply to surgery, right? We can make lots of assumptions and then we'd have to go analyze some data and do surveys and try to figure that out, right? Mm -hmm. If any pre-meds out there want to do that sort of research, I think it would be really cool research. Go figure that out. Um, you can see that 14.6% of 
all of the spots are filled by DOs. Again, you may look at that and go, oh, it's bad to be a DO. We can't make that assumption because there are just a lot less DO students. Let's look at these numbers, 432 versus 243. 243 divided by 432, it's 56.25% match rate. Now that maybe tells us a little bit of something. Right, we saw 72% match rate yeah. from MD students applying and getting accepted, and only a 56% match rate here. Again, is it because they're DOs? I don't think we can make that assumption. Mm -hmm. it, it's a potential, potentially, right? We don't know. So um, is it bad to be a DO student and want to go into surgery? I don't know. We, we, can't, we can't make that determination with just looking at these raw numbers. So, What we can say, however, is do DO students go into surgery? And the answer is yes. Yeah. More than half of the ones that apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So that's a good start. They go surgery, they go into surgical subspecialties. Yeah. They're out yeah. there living their best Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. can that be you? Of course, why not? So yeah, I, I think it'd be um, very interesting research to try to figure out, number one, why are the numbers so much lower mm -hmm. in terms of students applying to these potentially um, more competitive spots or surgery from a DO perspective? And then what's going on behind the scenes? Like we, we would have to look at, to, to really make good determinations, we would have to see anonymized data of the actual applicants what are their step scores what are their pass rates mm -hmm. what are their grades mm -hmm. uh if they get grades in med school what does their mspe look like their their dean's letter um what do their letters of evaluation look like from all of their rotations um what do uh what does their research look like if if you continue down this data hole <laughs> from the nrmp you can see that students who match typically have extremely uh, uh, more research than students who don't match. Again, is that, can, can you just draw a conclusion that says, if you have more research, you're gonna match? No, you can't make that conclusion, but there, there are things that you can start to see and, and data that you have to understand to look at to start understanding what's going on. Now, if, if we can conclusively say with, without a shadow of a doubt that the DO students are applying with the same stats, the same step scores, the same pass rates, the same um, subjectively uh, um, qualitatively great letters of recommendations, letters of evaluation. If, if applications are exactly the same, the only difference is MD versus DO and they're getting in less often, then yes, then we can potentially start drawing some conclusions that being a DO student is worse for you. But we can't do that yet <laughs> sorry that's my little data rant like, students wow. like to just look at the number and go oh it's bad no no we can't, we can't do that take some stats classes my friends uh, so, so veronica can, can we have no more of those questions please because <laughs> no more stats ryan ryan goes off on the deep end and so but it's important no it's important it's important you have to look at everything all right. G okay, asks, whatever. I hope 
you are all well. <laughs> I was well, and now my blood pressure is up a little bit. <laughs> I have a question that I hope is not too tedious to address. Question is how to address academic dishonesty in my application. Scott, is this a nail in the coffin or is this overcomable? So it depends. Um, th this is uh, a, uh, it depends on what the academic dishonesty was. It depends on when it was. And it depends on uh, what you say about it in your application. <clears throat> so let me address each of those quickly. One is it depends on what it was. Uh, if, it, if you were cheating on an exam or if you plagiarized, uh, in a paper and you fail the class because of it uh, and then, you know, had to go through some process at your institution, uh, that could be, you know, not great for sure. Uh, it depends on when it was. If it was as a freshman, it's going to be a lot different than if it was as a junior or a senior. That's going to be a, a totally different ballgame uh, depending on when, when this occurred. And then, you know, ultimately, it is also going to depend on what you say about it in your application. You have to own up to it. You can't sweep it under the carpet. You can't uh, explain it away. You have to take responsibility for what happened. You have to really, uh, you know, explain, but not in excruciating detail, but you have to explain kind of what the situation was and then what you learned that is the most important thing, what you learned out of that situation and why you're a better person now than you were then and you, you know a lot more and whatever. So I do think it depends a lot on various factors in terms of whether it is a small red flag or a big red flag. Yeah. Discussing test questions post finishing the test with other students. Ah, uh, stupid. <laughs> well, and yeah, and that's not great. Um, obviously, what what I would say is is again, it kind of depends on when it occurred. Mm -hmm. If this was as a freshman then as an admissions committee member, I might say, well, okay, you're a freshman. You don't really know, you know, kind of what's going on half the time. And, and, but if this was, if you're a junior, then you should have known better. So I think that there's, you know, I, when this occurred is going to be. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand what the, the dishonesty is here. A unless you're like, you finished your test and the other people are still taking their test. You're like, Hey, uh, what, what? or they're in a different section or, or something like that. Yeah, or or is this like everyone took the test and then you you're done with it and then you're like, oh man, that was hard. I I was yeah. struggling with this one question. What did you put? What did you put? Like, we all do that. I don't understand what's dishonest about that. No, I think it's you know if 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 there's like multiple sections of a course and they and they she was you know he or she was uh, discussing with people that hadn't taken the exam yet. They were okay. in a different section. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of my interpretation of this. Okay. Brenia, what do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And it uh, it comes down to, you know, you have to decide uh, yeah, is it is it still something that you want to, you know, pursue your your application absolutely. That's fine. You can do that. It's how you approach it. It's how you talk about it and just being honest, explain what happened, owning up to it. Um that's that's where you can kind of make a difference, but is it, you know, you can't avoid it. You have to report this. Yeah. Just approach it in an honest way and show, you know, that you learned from this experience and you grew from this experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And don't absolutely. do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
David asks, I'm about two years out from applying. How do you recommend creating a school list? Premediers.com slash 437 is a great episode to go listen to. We also, just last week, um, one of our workshops was how to create a school list as well. Uh, I think you can go get that replay at premedworkshops.com. Yeah. I don't know. It's, we, we could talk about it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> to me, we hash that one out a lot. Yeah. How do I stand out when applying to out-of-state schools when I haven't had any experience being in the area? Anything I can focus on? <sighs> Verenia, this is kind of a the same question, school list yeah. question. Um, residency, state residency matters uh, a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, not always for private schools, not always mm-hmm. for... Uh, public schools, but mm-hmm. if, if a public school is saying, hey, why do you want to come here? You're out of state, which mm-hmm. a lot of schools will send a, a very specific secondary prompt to mm-hmm. out-of-state residents. What do you recommend? Uh, focus on everything. <laughs> Vincent is asking anything you can focus focus on, everything. What is it about um, being in that particular community, in that in that neighborhood that appeals to you? Do you have experiences working with a particular population that makes, uh, you know, kind of applies to the population you'd be working with now? Um, what are things about the area that you can, you know, highlight that you have done the research and you understand what you're kind of coming into? Um, do that research, right? Look into the neighborhood, look into the community, look into what the school is focused on. Um you know, you can't force a tie to the state if there is none. The best you can do is, like I said, kind of showing how your experiences match what they're looking for and what they're hoping to do in their community mm-hmm. and have that highlight, you know, focus on those things. Yep. Why are you don't, here in the first place? Yeah. And don't say my cousin's third, yeah. <laughs> my third cousin's uncle's friend uh, <laughs> went there or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I looked at your stats and they match mine. Therefore, um, or I I put a map of the U.S. on a dartboard and <laughs> you won. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, Tevi, should I be retaking science classes I took during my dual program during high school? So I'm assuming dual enrollment. Mm-hmm. Um, courses should should they retake scott dual enrollment courses are college courses thoughts i I think tevi may think oh they're they're gonna maybe not be looked at a lot of times they're community college courses Mm -hmm. um potentially what are your thoughts Mm -hmm. here um i don't think you need to retake them i think that you know as long as you did well in the class Mm -hmm. i i i don't see a reason to uh retake those if you feel like that you didn't get the material, especially if it's, you know, if it's general chemistry or if it's uh, an applicable um, uh, prerequisite course and you feel like that you didn't get the, the information, the foundational information through the course, then I think maybe, uh, you know, that might cause you to kind of perhaps want to retake it. But uh, I don't think in general that I would say retaking it is, is necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you have a C minus or less um, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. have to retake, especially those prereqs. Yeah. Right. right. Money Mo. <laughs> 
How important is the quality of your LORs in the eyes of adcoms? How can you build meaningful relationships with professors to get a great LOR? The importance of the quality of the LOR, uh, unfortunately, is always the, well, it depends on, on the admissions committee and how they're using them and all that fun stuff, right? Um, but a bad letter potentially isn't great for any, is it? Yeah, I was just going to say, the quality matters in the sense of, you know, you want to make sure the person writing it is someone that knows you well and they can articulate why you are a good candidate um, and not, you know, your barber down the street or something like that. It's, it has to be someone who knows, who hopefully knows you well enough to talk about that. Um, so it matters. The quality does matter. Um, how can you build meaningful relationships? That comes down to you connecting with your professors, getting to know them, showing an interest in their um, subject and their research if they're pursuing research and more than anything approaching them maintaining that relationship throughout the time that you're um, either taking their class or whatever it is and approaching them and letting them know i'm really interested in what you're doing i'm also pre-med potentially i might want you know if possible i'd like to request a letter of recommendation from you don't do that at the beginning of this of the class obviously wait until you've kind of built that relationship up with them um, and ask them at that point. Um, but but it really does come down to you making the effort to go to their office hours to connect with them in some way so they get to know you well. Okay. Yep. Cat Meat. Hello. Currently finishing my junior year. Willing to apply for 2024-2025 cycle. Currently on an F1 visa waiting for a green card to be approved. At what step am I required to provide a approved green card? Thanks. Um, Scott, you, you maybe know from TMDSES standpoint, I, I believe I just learned the other day that um, you upload your green card as part of the process mm -hmm. to AMCAS. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming it's it's going to be similar for mm -hmm. a COMIS. Um, so that that is is part of the application process, the mm -hmm. primary application mm -hmm. process. Is that the same for TMDSES? Yes, that's correct. There is a... Go ahead. Uh, there is a... Um, and I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but there is a stage before you actually get the green card where you get notification that something is happening and stuff. And I, my, my understanding, my recollection is that with TMDSAS, once you get that notification uh, and you get a certain number that's related to that, that that will suffice but I can't remember the details on that. So I would say if you're uh, planning to apply to, to a Texas school, you might want to check with TMDSAS about that process. But I, I, I think in general, I think they're looking for um, the actual green card. So, Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I had a student. The reason I, I found out about uploading the green card as part of the application process recently was I had a student whose green card, like, expired during the application cycle and then it wasn't renewed until like two months after it expired and he was wondering if that was part of the complication of him not getting any acceptances where schools were like are you a permanent resident are you not what's going on um and so i was like oh i didn't even know you uploaded your green card as part of the app so hmm. Barudin, what are your thoughts on international medical schools with American backlinking 
like uh, University of Queensland Oshner in Australia and while Cornell in Qatar or Qatar, depending on your, your point of view. Um, yeah. Verinia international medical schools. It's, it's interesting. We're seeing a little more proliferation of these American tied international medical schools. I think NYU has a program uh, while Cornell here, uh, UK Oshner. Oshner is a big program mm -hmm. in Louisiana. Um, you're still an international medical graduate though. Yeah. I was yep. just about to say that. So yep. you have to, you have to do your research and see, uh, you know, what does it look like for, for an IMG applying later to residencies and things like that? Um, you know, for their particular programs, um, you know, you're, I, I would wonder why you'd be considering these programs. Is it just because you're genuinely interested in traveling overseas and, doing your your, med your medical education there, or if you feel like this is your only opportunity <laughs> to go to medical school, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you really do have to approach it the same way. Um, yeah. Do Carefully. your research. <laughs> Carefully. Yeah. yeah, do your research. Yeah. So, hey, let's look at the data tables again. Oh, no. I won't get on a full soapbox. Uh, so everyone can look, right? The NRMP, go, go, go to the source and, and mm -hmm. look at, again, we can't draw really strong conclusions, but the IM, IMG data is really, really powerful. Um, it's not great. So if you look at, let's go to surgery um, again, just for fun. Um, so you see surgery categorical. There's those same 1,667 spots, I think, um, that we had earlier. Um, you can see that the, the, oh, 1,670, and then they filled, apparently, they missed three spots. Um, you can see the IMG data, <clears throat> whether you're a U.S. citizen, international medical graduate, or a non-U.S. citizen, international medical graduate. So these are Canadians. These are um, people who graduated from med school in India or England or wherever. And they're like, hey, I want to go to the States now and, and train and, and potentially practice. And you can look at some of this data and go, oh, hey, look, there's a ton of people, non-U.S. international medical graduates matching into internal medicine. That's pretty good. Like if you're interested in internal medicine, maybe there's a shot there. <clears throat> but when you get down into some of these and we'll go to surgery again 95 uh international medical graduates non-us citizen 70 77 us citizen international medical graduates this doesn't show us how many applied i think there's another table for that but the the match data is a, a lot 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 worse for imgs yeah yeah <clears throat> all right Jeremy asks, hello, 100 undergrad hours with 2.5 and no degree, finishing bachelor's with a projected 3.0 cumulative with last 90 hours. Like these types of questions, uh, Veronica, they're, they're too hard and we don't know enough. It's go create a mapped account, put in all of your information, Jeremy. And then um, as part of your free trial of Mapped Pro, Mapped is almost all free, um, but as part of your free trial for Mapped Pro, you get access to chat with us. So put in all of your data and then go and, and ask a question in the advising tab. You can ask uh, us what to do. 
but we'll be able to see your data better. We, we just can't, I, I can't answer these kind of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> Nothing against you. It's just, it's just really yeah. hard. We love There's too much nuance. Jeremy. <laughs> Ordinary amateur. Yeah. This question is for Dr. Scott Wright. Oh. How did you like Dallas? Uh, UT Dallas. Living in Texas gives us many options for schools in Dallas, and their history is amazing. How was your time there, and do you recommend it? <laughs> wow okay um, so what i was what you're fine scott good oh is it oh no can you hear me yeah you're good can you hear me now can you, you yep. can hear me yep mm -hmm. okay okay good uh, I love Dallas. Uh, Dallas is a great community. I love uh, UT Southwestern was an awesome institution. It has a lot going for it. So I, I would definitely, if you're interested in Texas and, and, uh, and, and want to, uh, uh, you know, want to come to Texas for medical school, I, I would say Southwestern is a great, great institution for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it's uh, got fantastic, um, Fantastic stuff going for it. Uh, the the hospitals, which is really important in your medical education, uh, are amazing uh, in terms of where you're going to be practicing uh, medicine in the clinical years. Uh, you know, primarily in the cl cl uh, uh, clinical years, and so I, I would absolutely say yes. Uh, go for it. There you go. There you go. We got time for uh, one more. And we're out of time. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, why isn't there a question? I look at the clock. All right, we're out of time. Uh, thank you all for hanging out with us uh, for another episode of Pre-Med Office Hours. We're here almost every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern where we answer your questions, uh, at least some questions, yeah. because some are too hard to answer. But go over to MAPS, create a free account, yes. and uh, as part of your trial to MAPS Pro, you get access to chatting with uh, our advisors right inside of the MAPS platform. So go do that. Dr. Scott Wright, Verena Granham, thank you so much for hanging out today and fulfilling um, our mission of helping pre-meds kind of understand this process a lot better. Awesome. Everyone, have a wonderful day. We'll yeah. see you soon. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.